Um, Big Jim is passing out the lesson now. <clears throat> it is a two-sheet lesson with four pages. So we printed on two sides, so just hang on to that. But we're going to move into our next section of the Fall Bible Study Hour. The lesson is moving to a different phase where we are now going to talk about a question that we might have about God. And the question is, God, are you fair? Are you fair? A sense of fairness is what the question is going to be here. And the thing that we're going to take a look at here is is exactly how God truly is. It's not a question of fairness. It's going to be a question of his being just. But we'll get into that as we go into the lesson a little bit further. With that in mind, I just thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for your dedication to coming to Sunday school. And I consider it a, a privilege to be able to be here to present material for the class. We've been doing it for a little while now, and I'm just very thankful to be able to do so. And thankful to God for giving me the ability to do it. Um, And I just praise him for that. Let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer. We'll get started. Father, we just thank you and give you praise for your presence this morning. We thank you for this time of fellowship, but also this time of study and prayer and meditation and time to really hear how your word speaks to us. Lord, we do value your word and we value what your word says to us. And Lord, sometimes we are taken aback by how your word really does cut to the heart. And it really does help to shape us and mold us into the person that you want us to be. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this study. And we thank you for all that you do for us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Lesson number six, God's just not fair. Very interesting study, and when we look at a scriptural passage later on here, you're going to look at this passage and say, yeah, I kind of thought that was unfair myself. <laughs> so when we, when we look at it, um, I'm going to trust that you're going to, uh, thank you, I'm going to trust that you're going to see uh, how this study actually does get right down to how you really do feel about things, and, and hopefully it'll give you some clarification as to how You should approach things when it comes to looking at the fairness of life. So starting at the top of the handout, um, of course, Jennifer Rothschild is the one who is presenting the material from this content of missing pieces. And we've adapted into a Sunday school class, which, uh, gentlemen, just so you know, you would not be doing this normally, this type of lesson, because this was normally geared towards ladies. Um, This is what it was written for. Um, But because... I'm doing it. We're going to adapt it. We've adapted it for this class for relevance for everybody here. Um, So starting with the top uh, where it says J.R., this is Jennifer Rothschild speaking. When I was a little girl in church, I remember singing the beautiful hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus. I loved the melody and took innocent solace in the words. Fairness was really important to me as a child. I didn't want my brothers to get more candy than me or stay up later than me. I just wanted everything to always be fair. It was a relief to think that Jesus was describing that hymn as the most fair. I clearly didn't understand the hymn writer was referring to Jesus as the other definition of the word. Beautiful, lovely, fair. Even so, could he be described as the most fair? 
or just when bad things happen to Christians is it because he really isn't as fair as we'd hoped. Hmm. In the summer of 2010, my hero Johnny Erickson Tata was diagnosed with breast cancer. I was so upset and thought she doesn't deserve that pain. She has been in a wheelchair since she was a teen. Isn't that enough suffering? She has served God so faithfully, even within her disability. That doesn't seem fair that God would now let her get cancer. I compared Joni to others and thought, that's just not fair. She's earned no cancer. Have you ever felt that way? Now, I just want to let you know that this was written, obviously referring to her uh, getting cancer back in 2010. And when I was looking at this lesson, I said, wow, I just remembered reading something the other day about how Johnny Erickson Tata is, has cancer again. She just, this is a very, very fresh article where literally, as you can see, I pulled that on November, the article was written November the 22nd. So now she's back and literally is supposed to be having this surgery tomorrow. Um, I know, the timing is really interesting. So that article that I pulled, I wanted you to see that she's got, um, was battling stage 3 breast cancer and is back at it again. And so she recently announced this development within the last week or so. And of course, for those of you who don't know, she is a quadriplegic. Um, she has been in ministry for many years, but she is a quadriplegic. She does, uh, does not, uh, she's in a wheelchair all the time. She requires a lot of care. She is married, which, is a, which was a very welcome thing to hear and see. I did not know that she was married, but she is indeed married. But they found a small cancerous tumor once again within after the latest biopsies. So she's going to have surgery to try to remove that tumor tomorrow. Um, and I'm not going to read that whole article. I left that for you to read. That's something for you to look at. And, of course, what she's doing is, of course, she's asking for prayer. Um, her and her husband both are asking for prayer. And she's asking for people to pray that God will be glorified through the situation. Pray that he'll be trusted, extolled, and exalted. Um, they want to make sure that when they go in this time, they want to get the whole thing. And it's uh, been a bit of a journey uh, to go through this experience. You, once you're diagnosed as being cancer-free and then it comes back up again, and that's what happens. Now, this is exactly what was happening with our, our dear friend Brent who passed away. Uh, less than a month ago, where he was uh, in remission and then the cancer resurged uh, itself once again and went into his bones, and that's what took him away from here. So it's always a matter of prayer. And you wonder, you know, is God being fair? That's the question that's being asked here. Where is the fairness in this that someone, and it's not just anyone, it's Johnny Erickson Tata, who's a quadriplegic and now has to deal with this issue of breast cancer. Okay. Any questions so far or comments? Yes. Say it again, please. Okay. We could say it wasn't fair that he sent his son to be crucified. Okay. But there was reason for their sons. Like Eric, everybody looks at Eric and Tom. He was a reflection of 
That's right. She's a very visible uh, person in ministry. And you're right. People do watch and people are concerned and people are prayerful about what's going to happen with her. I think that's a very important point. And even if that's not the case, you know, perhaps there are people that you know personally who have been through a lot of struggle and difficulty and you wonder about God's fairness. You know, Brent's wife has asked this question herself publicly. I lost my dad and now I lost my husband within the course of a month. You know, why is God punishing me? What, is, what am I doing to him for him to do this to me? And that's the question that she's been asking. I can't tell you how this class, in just a really strange way, has paralleled a lot of events that have taken place uh, in my wife and I's lives, just observing what's happening with another family that's being decimated by these events. And so, and that's somewhat public because everyone knows everyone who works at American Greetings and everyone knows the people there. And, you know, they have the constant reminders, you know, they had the constant reminders of his desk not being occupied for many months because he was out due to the illness. So a lot of people know. And a lot of people have been wondering how to respond to something like that. What do you say? There's not much you can really say. There's not much you can really do other than just be a comforting presence. You're going to learn a lot about how, you know, I've, I, I finished a credit uh, unit of chaplaincy for uh, clinical pastoral education. What you learn about in that type of study is that sometimes the best thing you can do is say nothing. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just be present. Be a presence for someone else. That's what you're going to learn as you go through, even in ministry, ministering to others. All of you have the capability of being chaplains because of what you would learn in this particular study. You're going to learn about ways to talk to people without saying something that's going to offend or hurt or damage someone. And that's what this is all about. But even in the process, you're going to learn about things that will teach you about your relationship with the Lord too and where it needs to be bolstered, where it needs to be improved, where you need to truly be seeking him when it comes to wisdom about your relationship with him as well. Yes. Okay. Right. Yep. And it doesn't mean that you can't take Ken out of it. 
Yep. That's right. That's important to see. Absolutely. That's right. Yes. That's all right. This class is harsh all the time, so it's okay. That's right. We're we're going through an ongoing education. There's a training that's taking place. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere. It's somewhere in that area, right? Okay. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, you notice now she mentioned that this girl is born again. This lady is born again. So you still have to minister to those people who know the Lord. They are going through a great deal of suffering and struggle. Um, it's not just about believer, non-believer stuff, okay? You're still talking about everybody involved and even people in the body of Christ that need to be ministered to as well. We need to be very sensitive to that and don't challenge them you really should know better or something like that. No, 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 no. Nothing like that. When I saw him kind of going in that direction, okay. I just really had a purposeful moment with him. You know, when I first say, do you think that God knows the world and knows what he has to do? Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, what about the Old Testament, all the bad kings? Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, I know, but this is beyond that. Right. But Satan had only grabbed him in the world and he turned to himself and he saw her. You know, and, and mm-hmm. I know you can't stop the Roman stone. Right. And all of the things that go that you know, maybe it's happening or it's not really gonna happen, but this is gonna but that's okay because God knew his heart yep. and also the fact is that man, he had enough blessing and freedom to suffer that also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yes. 
That's right. That's exactly right. That's right. Now, I'm going to tell you something, too. I'm going to, I promise you, Johnny Erickson Tata is not all smiles and happy right now about what's going on. Okay? You, you're only reading about her from an article, a news article from the Christian Post. And, of course, the words that she is saying, the right words, and the people who are around her are saying the right things, but you're not going to know about every... You know, you're not going to know about the heartache she experienced when she found out she had cancer again. But you know that it's there because it's a real thing. It's a real thing to feel something like that. You feel like you've turned the corner and then, once again, you've got to go back into surgery. Now, all of your comments have been wonderful because it shows that this is a matter of the heart. This is something that really cuts very deep. And that's why we're having a study. We're ready for a study like this to really get into this more and more and look at what God's Word's going to even say about all of this. So let's go. You're on page two. I went past the article where the, it's in the box. So I'm down now past the box and where it says J.R. again. I don't know anyone who has ever read the book of Job and not thought, now this just isn't fair. Now how many of you... <laughs> when you look at Job and you see what happened to Job, have thought, boy, that was a... Job really got the short end of the stick, especially if you read early on in the first couple of chapters. Now, I know that none of you are saying anything right now because you don't want to sound like, oh, boy, um, yeah, Job, he got what he was supposed to get. No, he didn't. No. Pardon me? No. None of us. Well, that's right. That's right. Exactly. So we kind of feel like a little suffering is fine, but once you've met the Christian quota for suffering, what is this Christian quota? The Christian quota is whatever you think is the threshold for how much someone should suffer, and then you say, that's enough. It's whatever you assign that to be, whatever that Christian quota is for suffering. But once you've met the Christian quota for suffering, it, isn't, it just isn't fair for you to get more piled on. Don't we as Christians deserve God's protection, blessings, and healing? This is exactly what we were just talking about. Now, do we deserve God's protection, blessings, and healing? No. Why? Pardon me? Because we're sinners. That's right. You know, we have to go look at this practically. Again, God's word doesn't contradict itself here. We don't deserve any blessing. We don't deserve any protection. We don't deserve any healing. It's not a deserved thing. And these are things we have to circle back and come around and look at. So if you have received his protection, if you have received his blessing, if you have received healing, you should be praising the Lord. 
Because that's exactly what we need to take away from this. You don't deserve anything. We need to understand that because of the blood of Christ, we have a great deal. Starting with salvation, number one. That's the most important thing that any of us can have. There are people who have lived miserable lives, but because they've trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they know they have something to look forward to. Salvation is always the most important consideration for a believer in Jesus Christ. Always, always, always. No variance in that. Because without salvation, you don't have anything. So sometimes we have to get right back to the root of why we're here, who we are, what we have an opportunity to do, how God has chosen each of you to be here at this day, at this time, at this moment, for the purpose of what? Glorifying Him. And that's it. That's it. This has nothing to do with quality of life. If you have a quality of life bonus in that, and you have a good quality of life, you praise the Lord for it, because He's the one that has allowed you to have that. Because you know as well as I do, there's a lot of folks out there that don't have a very good quality of life. But quality of life should not be equated to a relationship with Jesus Christ. A lot of people will try to do that, but that's not the most important thing. If you are being fed and if you're being taken care of, if you have a little bit of money, guess what? You have everything. Because God is the one who's providing it for you. Is it nice to have money in the bank? Absolutely. But it's not the end-all, be-all. A lot of folks who played the stock market know exactly what I mean when I say that. And back in 1929, when the stock market crashed, folks were jumping off of buildings. They supposedly had a very high quality of life. What happened to them? You've got to understand these things. This week, we will explore God's apparent unfairness. We will discover that He is just, not fair. Notice the word just, not fair. It's not about fairness. Fairness is a word that, frankly, we're using in our flesh because we don't understand God's ways. And we're always going to struggle with that, but guess what? None of us can understand God's ways. Who, who can understand God's ways? When you look at the book of Job, who can understand what's happening there? Satan is having a conversation with God about messing around with Job. Job doesn't know about it. Until these things start happening to him. And remember, Job was a man of God. Job had a relationship with God. So we understand when we look at that passage, she's telling, this woman here is telling the truth. How can you look at the book of Job and not say, what is going on when you first read it? If you have no knowledge of anything else, what is going on? 
It's not until the end of Job when you see the greater purpose. And you've got to get through 40 chapters to find that out. Now, fairness issues don't always have to deal with life and death stuff. Sometimes it deals with stuff that's pretty, what you would say, innocuous. But it doesn't mean that it still doesn't have an impact on you. So this is me. My brother Kevin and I were very close growing up. We were my mom and dad's only children. I was the firstborn in 1959, and Kevin arrived 10 months later in 1960. Like, wow. Okay. He was always one grade behind me, and we both managed to do very well in school. When it was almost time for me to graduate from high school, I was blessed to receive a couple of small scholarships, and I decided to go to Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. I made decisions to save money and be a commuter student rather than stay on campus. A year later, my brother also received some awards, but he also received a scholarship along with his acceptance to Harvard University in Massachusetts. That would defray some of his tuition. It wasn't a full scholarship, it was just a partial one. In contrast, I had been footing the bill for my education with loans and by working while going to school, while Kevin was able to go to Harvard and live on campus as my parents were paying the remainder of his tuition there. I didn't dwell on it much because there was a lot going on at that time within my family, including a good amount of financial stress, but I didn't think it was fair that I was paying most of my tuition while my brother wasn't really paying hardly any. He only came home during the summer and worked at Sears for a couple of years to pay books, pay for books. I still worked a full-time job while going to school. While we were both blessed to be going to very good schools, my perspective left me with the burden of my ongoing financial struggles, and I was having a hard time getting past the inequity, especially since I would have come off as ungrateful if I were to complain about it. So I kept my mouth shut. Now, even back at that time, everybody knows it was pretty expensive to go to college. And back then, you'd probably laugh today if you knew what the tuition was back in the day. It's, it's, it's nothing compared to $2,018, but it still was pretty expensive back then because of the cost of living. Yeah, that guy, that Press Your Luck episode where they talk about the guy who... So he won, he won $110,000. It was like the largest taken one day. Well, they equate that today in today's money to like $250,000 because of inflation. So that tells you the disparity now with inflation and what that really means today. So when you look at the cost of education today, it's probably in line with what it was back then. So I was struggling with the fact that I had to pay for my tuition, but my brother didn't. What's fair about it? There can indeed be very different interpretations of what is fair. Unfairness is often a matter of perspective, isn't it? And the answer is yes, it is a matter of perspective. It's definitely a matter of perspective. The Smothers brothers used to have a comedy routine all the time where one of the brothers would always say, Mom always liked you best. For those of you who remember the Smothers brothers, well, they, they got laughs out of that because the one brother was playing on the fact that the other brother was seen to be the favored brother of the, of the parents. 
that's a perception for many people in real life. I mean, it might have been a funny thing, it might have been a joke, but it's actually a real thing. It's a real consideration. What in your life or in our world seems unfair to you? Now, I deliberately left a blank space there if you want to jot something down or not. But it should make you think, uh, that I'm on page three, I'm sorry. What in your life or in our world seems unfair to you? There are a lot of things that seem to be very unfair. We can have, you could, if you took the time, if you took an hour to think about these things, you could find a lot of things that you could deem to be unfair from a very broad perspective. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but just look around you. Look around your neighborhood. Look around on your street. Look around in society. What's fair? What's unfair? Question number two. Do you ever feel God isn't fair? And why or why not? Do you ever feel God isn't fair? Why or why not? Now, I'm going to help you out a little bit here. God isn't fair. He's not fair. It's not an issue of fairness. There are things that he has said in his word. He allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. It's the same for everybody. It's this, he treats everyone equally as human beings. But there are some things that just aren't fair. Why does he allow the rain on the just? Because he does. That's who he is. He just allows it. Did Job deserve to go through the calamity that he went through? Of course not. But he allowed it. And what you need to see and understand here is that we've had some real world examples we've discussed in this class about how individuals who are struggling and yet something else is happening or there's more that's occurring or there are things that have occurred in addition to those things that are struggling. People who are well past this quotient of suffering that we have assigned to certain situations. They've suffered enough is the way we would see it. Why are they still going through it? If you sometimes struggle with what seems to be the unfairness of life or even God, you're not alone. Jesus tells a story like that, about that. Turn to Matthew chapter 20. Now, for those of us who have sensitivities to work and we have sensitivities to being paid for our work, this story is going to get you. Matthew chapter 20. We'll see if, we'll see if Roscoe has a commentary later about this story. 
<laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, again, look at what it says. You need to make sure that you pay attention to the first verse here. This is Jesus speaking, and he's talking about, he's giving you analogies based upon the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a very special place. Amen? Amen? The kingdom of heaven is the ultimate. This is what we're trying to see here. So we need to not forget about this in this conversation. It's like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Verse 2, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. This is early in the morning. Verse 3, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. Verse 5, so they went, going out again, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Now let's stop here and we'll circle back. So look back at your handout. How much were the first hired morning workers to be paid? In verse 2, was it an hourly wage, one denarius for the day, or what the landowner deemed right? What? A denarius. Look at verse 2. He's being, they're being paid a denarius for the day. All right. Now circle how much the additional workers were promised. Look at verse 4. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So now, we've got two different answers there. You've got the denarius for the day, and whatever the landowner deemed right. Okay? So you can circle both of them, because you're going to look at both of those examples. It's not about an hourly wage. We've already eliminated that as a part of the discussion. They weren't being paid by the hour. Okay. During the sixth, ninth, and eleventh hours, the landowner hired more laborers and sent them into his vineyard. Back to verses 5 through 7, we've seen that as the example. Now, if that you have the gist of the story, not all the laborers did the same work, but they all got paid the same. Does this seem unfair to you? And Ms. Rothschild's writing, I'll admit it does to me. It doesn't seem fair. We are conditioned as a society and as a group to be paid for the time that you're working. Right? We are paid, notice what's left out of the equation here, an hourly wage. Well, even if you're on a salary, you're still being paid the equivalent of an hourly wage built into your salary. Yes. I think we may be overlooking the fact. Well, I haven't even finished yet. <laughs> oh. Go 
I haven't even finished what I'm doing. Let me get to the rest of it. You're eager. You're so eager to... <laughs> that's okay. That's, that's all right. He's, he is with me as far as where we're going. So that's what we want too. We want all of us to be together on this. So, put yourself in the worker's place. How would you feel if that happened to you? Now, let's say, you know, there's a group of us that are called to work somewhere. In a, in a, and it could be a field or whatever it is. You know, pulling weeds, whatever the, whatever the duty is we have to do. When I worked at the VA... You know, one of my jobs as a, was as a gardener, supposedly, and I'm pulling weeds or doing whatever, rototilling, whatever it is, and I'm being paid on the hour. But what happens if all of us get pulled in and we are working, but we get paid the same thing if we're working at different times or whatever and working at different amounts of time? Would that seem fair to you? How would you feel if this happened to you? You'd be trying to sue somebody. <laughs> What's that? I'd be happy if I was the last person brought in to work, but if I was the first person, I'd have all kinds of funny looks on my face. Okay, so we get it. We understand that. Disrespected, slighted, and frustrated are just a few of the feelings I would have if that happened to me. We just want to be treated fairly, don't we? And let's face it, we need to understand that the laws that are in our country right now were created, especially labor laws, labor laws. Remember, we had children who were working in the factories back in the day, and I'm talking way back in the day, you know, before we were all born, basically, or pretty close, where there were unfair child labor laws. And we had to have legislation passed to prevent this from happening. And we can even go further about discriminatory practices in the workplace. We had to have laws put in place to make sure that there was a fairness in the process of people working for companies. So this is nothing that we don't understand because we had to, in many cases, fight for these things. We have labor unions today for the sole purpose of making sure that those very things... That was a different bell, wasn't it? For the sole purpose of making sure that people were treated fairly on the job and there wasn't something weird going on. That was Tinkerbell. Okay. So understand that these things that we are conditioned to understand have a foundation. We understand those very things about fairness. So yeah, we would be ticked off if we didn't get paid the same as someone else did who worked less time. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Yep. That's right. Right. Yep. Wash your clothes mm-hmm. and do all of those things. So we just, you know, so when I check back in on him later, I think it kind of took some of that. Yep. You know, so, but he was really willing, and, and you're right, our minds as humans, we think mm-hmm. we have some, uh, that I need some payback for. That's right. When I have a conversation, life is not about performance. That's right. That's right. We're learning, even your conversation with him, you're still learning about yourself. That's right. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's very important. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. The fellowship aspect of this cannot be. Yep. 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 Okay, go ahead. Short of saying, oh God, you're not fair. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel funny saying God is not. I know that. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. What are we learning? We're not learning. God's ways are not our ways. That's right. First of all. That's right. But we do question. You just said it though. God's ways are not our ways. So you just basically said exactly the same thing. So we're, we're, do we feel more comfortable saying why? Probably, so yes. Days ago I was thinking about something concerning my daughter. And I'm saying, you know, she's serving you, she's serving you, she's serving you, Lord. I get it. That's right. This is a great. Fair or not fair. I'm a little short saying that, but then I do question some of the mm-hmm. things that he does mm-hmm. or doesn't do. You know. Look at Jesus on the cross. Before he went to the cross, he was mm-hmm. in prayer to his father. Mm-hmm. If you will, take this. Yep. Yep. So that's a why. It wasn't like he no. was saying it's not fair. He said, yeah. If you would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he's he's above us, and his his realm is not our realm, and we learn why as a kid every time you turn around and think, well, why? 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 <laughs> Understand? Oh, absolutely. The whole that if if you're saying why, that means you're going to him. You want to know what's going on. You're seeking after him. So we have to stop now, but. This is a great place to stop because now you've got some stuff to work on in your own head (laughs) when we get back to this next time. This is a great, great discussion. I really feel convicted about making sure that we go through this. And Brother Beecher, we'll get you next week too. So we'll make sure that have this go, go around in your head. Pray about this whole thing. This is about your personal growth, understanding what's going on here when we look at these things. And being effective in ministry to others when you're called upon. Because you won't say something weird. You'll say something that's going to be in line with what Scripture says and in line with how God's character is. That's what you want to be able to do when you talk to people. Amen? Okay. Father, we thank you for this time you've given us to go over this subject about fairness and how we perceive things and how we see things. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity just to come before you and ask questions. Seek after you. Lord, remember those in our lives that we have been praying for. That we have been seeking you about. That you will show them a measure of of grace and peace in the midst of their difficulty. 
that you will help them with maybe not complete understanding, but with the understanding of their needing you in their lives. We thank you, Lord, and we pray for this upcoming message and the speaker. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hang on to your sheets. We'll come back with this next week.